Today I want to talk to you about growing in the knowledge of God and I, I have just the person to talk to you about it because the Apostle Peter is really committed to this thing about growing. For example, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word in order that you might grow. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is passionate about our growth, and nothing expresses that passion nor that process anymore than 2 Peter chapter 1. This passage, if you can grab it, grasp it, put your arms around it, I think you will have what you need to either begin or to speed up your process of experiencing God in the real world of life. Peter is writing to Christians. He says in the middle of verse 1, to those who have received the faith the same kind as ours. So these are born-again Christian people he's writing to. He's not concerned with winning the lost right now. He's concerned about getting the saved into an experiential knowledge of God. Notice what he says at the end of verse 2. He wants you to have the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice what he says in the middle of verse 3. Through the true knowledge of him who called us. Notice what he says at the end of verse 8. In the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter is concerned that we enter into what he calls the epigenosis. That's the Greek word for the full knowledge or true knowledge. Or let me give you another word, the authentic knowledge of God. Peter's not first concerned with how many Bible verses you can quote, how many Bible studies you've been in. He's not concerned about how many times you use Jesus' name throughout the week. He's not concerned about how many references to God you make in the course of your life. He's concerned that you have an epigenosis, an authentic experience of the knowledge of God. He starts out with an exciting phrase. I am excited about this phrase because we read it and we skip it usually because we think it's like an introduction before the real message. But he says in end of verse 1, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please notice he calls Jesus Christ both God and Savior. Jesus Christ is not just Savior, Jesus is also God. Jesus is God with skin on. God wanted to become a man so that he could relate to men. So God put skin on in the person of the second member of the Trinity, the second member of the Godhead, Jesus the Christ. And then he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Even before I get into this message, I'm excited because I want to talk about multiplication. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. In other words, if you want more grace and you want more peace, you got to have a multiplication in the knowledge of God. In other words, no knowledge of God, less grace, less peace. Grace is all that God is free to do for us because of what Jesus Christ has done. It is his unmerited favor. If you want more favor, you have to have a greater knowledge of God. Peace is the ability to be calm no matter how chaotic things are going on around you. If you want more calm in the midst of the storm of life to be multiplied to you, you must expand your experiential 
knowledge of God. You see, five plus five will grant you ten, but five times five will grant you twenty-five. Ten plus ten will grant you twenty. Ten times ten will grant you a hundred. So if you're satisfied with a little addition of God, that's one thing. Peter wants you with a little multiplication of God. That's a whole different level. Because that's times. He says, I want grace to be multiplied, not just added. I want peace to be multiplied, not just added. And he certainly doesn't want grace and peace to be subtracted. He wants grace and peace to be multiplied, that is abundantly supplied. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 says that God is able to make grace abound to you so that in every way, exceedingly, you will see an abundance for more than you need. So what God is saying is he wants to give you a multiplied experience with him, but that is connected with your knowledge of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. So you ought to feel good right now that God is interested in multiplying your experience and not merely giving you an addition. He wants to give you a multiplication of his experience, of your experience with him. How is this going to happen? Watch this now. He says in verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. Somebody say everything. Look at your neighbor and say everything. Now turn to somebody else and say everything. Because the text says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the epigenosis, the authentic knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Guess what? Everything you need to become all you were meant to be, you already have. Let me say that again. Everything you need to become all you were redeemed to be, you already possess. Some of us are looking for stuff we already own. The great publisher, Randolph Hearst, was one day looking for an exclusive painting that he was not able to find. He really wanted this painting. He sent his staff all around the world to look for this painting. They came back and said, we could not find the painting anywhere. We went around the world uh, looking for this painting. But uh, one of your cleaners was down in the basement, cleaning up the basement where you have all your artifacts and old paintings, only to discover what we were searching the world for, you had already in your basement. Some of us are looking for life and you already have it. Some of us are looking to be more Christian and you already have it. Some of us are looking to be more like God and you already have it. Because my Bible says, and I think your Bible says the same thing, everything pertaining to life and godliness has been granted to us by his divine power. Everything you need to meet all of life's demand in a way that would please God, godliness, everything you need to meet all the demands of life, you already have. But the problem is, if you don't know you have it, then you don't know where to go get it. And if you don't know you have it, you'll go looking in places that can't offer it to get what's already been granted. When the sperm of a male enters the egg of a female, life is born. There is life. The moment that the sperm enters the egg, there is conception of life. Now the problem 
with that life is its undeveloped life. But everything that baby is ever going to be is already in the DNA of the conception. You don't have to go looking for arms to sew on to the egg. You don't have to go looking for feet to sew on to the egg. You don't have to go looking for eyes to pluck in. You don't have to go looking for ears because even though you can't see it, it's already built into the conception. The conception of life supplies to the life in embryonic form everything the life's going to need to be a life when it comes out of the womb. In fact, everything that that conception needs to become a full-grown man or a full-grown woman is in the seed of conception. You don't have to find adulthood. It's already there. You don't have to find adolescence. It's already there. You don't have to go out and find somebody who can paint skin color. It's already there. Everything that that child is ever going to be is already there. The only thing that stops you from knowing whether it's a male or a female, the only thing that stops you from knowing all the idiosyncrasies of this new birth is development. The lack of development makes you think everything's not there if you don't already know it. But the fact of development brings out everything that was deposited at conception. He says, by his divine power, God has granted us everything that we're needing. I love that old commercial about Prego spaghetti sauce. Prego spaghetti sauce. In the TV commercial, somebody would say, well, where's the tomato? And the answer would be, it's already in there. Where's the sausage? Well, it's already in there. Where's the oregano? It's already in there. In other words, when they were advertising the spaghetti sauce, everything you were looking for was already there. I don't know what you're looking for, but I can tell you, it's already there. You say, but I'm looking for joy. It's already there. I'm looking for peace. It's already there. I'm looking for power. It's already there. I'm looking for productivity. It's already there. I'm looking for meaning. It's already there. I'm looking for happiness. It's already there. I'm looking for a future. It's already there. And I'm looking for a purpose. And it's already there. Well, why can't I find all this stuff I'm looking for? Because you're not looking in the place where it was put. It's already there. The stuff we're looking for that pertains to life, being able to look at all and address all of life's issues, and the things we're looking for to address them in a way that pleases God, godliness, he says, has been granted by his divine power. Now you know at Christmas time you'll go and buy toys for your children, or perhaps you'll buy things for your own home, and they will tell you on the front of the package, batteries not included. In other words, we have all the stuff, but you got to find your own power. What we have not included is the power to pull off what the product is designed to do. So batteries are not included. Well, guess what God says? I not only have given you everything, batteries are included because it includes my divine power, he says, to pull off what the equipment is designed to do. So I've got good news for you today that everything that you're needing to become all God wants you to be, you already have. 
but you may not know you have it because you may not have been looking in the right place for it. And that when you discover its location, that includes everything, batteries are included. That the power to use it is with the receiving of it. He says you have received everything pertaining to life and the new nature, like buying an expensive car. You know, when you really buy the top of the line car, you don't have to buy extras because everything is included if it's the top of the line. You have a top of the line salvation. You didn't get a salvation where you got to be adding stuff. You got a top of the line salvation from God and the Lord Jesus Christ and batteries are included. So what then is this salvation and where can I find all this stuff, Tony Evans, that you're telling me I already have? Because if I already have it, I sure wish you'd help me find it because I can't locate it even though you told me I already have it. Well, let me tell you where it's located. He tells you in verse 4, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust guess what he says he says that where the location for the everything he has granted for all he intends you to be is located what he calls in verse 4 the divine nature it's located in the divine nature your nature is your essential disposition your nature is your core being your nature is your total essence it's sort of like this we're made up of, of three parts we're made up of body that gives us the ability to relate to the outside world through the five senses. We're made up of soul. That's your personhood or personality. Everybody in here has a different body and everybody in here also has a different soul. The job of your soul is to give instruction to your body. So your body does what your body does because your soul tells it what to do. Your soul is made up of mind, emotions, and will. So your ability to think, your ability to feel, your ability to choose is all wrapped up in this thing called your soul. Our bodies are decaying. Our bodies will die. Your soul lives forever, okay? Because your soul is your you. Whenever your soul leaves your body, trust me, you're in a coffin because your body only lives because your soul is still resident in it. But there is the deepest part of you. We talked about this last time. That is your spirit. Your spirit. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. Our bodies are flawed because they're decaying. They're getting older. And one day we'll die. Our souls are dysfunctional. Everyone in here, I hate to tell you this, but Peter told me to tell you that everybody in here has a dysfunctional soul. Now, it's dysfunctional at different levels based on your experiences, your background, how you were raised, and the things that influence you. But all of our souls have been distorted by sin and circumstances. So that's why we think 
some of the things we think That's why we feel some of the things we feel And can't get rid of those feelings Why? Because our souls have become distorted Due to all of the things that engulf us in this world What he calls in verse 4 The corruption of the world The corruption of the world in which we live Including our own corruption Has distorted your soul So I hate to tell you this And I hate to tell me this But it's true You can't trust you You can't trust you Because the reason you can't trust you Is that on your best day You're looking through a glass darkly On your best day You are looking at life through a distorted soul Now the thing that you have That's supposed to sort all this stuff out Is your spirit Your spirit is the essential essence Of who you are But the problem is We were born with spiritually dead spirits We were were born with a nature that was spiritually dead that is unable to make contact with God when we had the storm here the other day and the snow began to fall my TV went off my TV went off it said searching for signal I fiddled with it I tweaked it I twisted it I pushed the red reset button and every time it came back on searching for signal searching for signal searching for signal searching for signal so this went on all day I walked outside and looked up at the satellite on my roof and the satellite on my roof was covered with snow it snow covered the round part so that the signal could not bounce off in other words could not get a picture because circumstances had clouded up my ability to receive a signal. You and I were born with covering over our spirits that blocked us from receiving the signal of God. Because we can't get God's signal in our spirits in our unconverted days, the signal of God couldn't bounce off of it. Which means the soul had nothing to feed on except the world in which it lived. So if you live in a good world with positive parents and you weren't molested and and you only were exposed to good things, you have a decent soul. But if you lived in a world uh, where things were chaotic and things were evil and you were fed negative and evil stuff all the time, then your soul may look more chaotic than the person you're next to. But don't get me wrong. No matter whether you are major messed up or minor messed up, everybody has a soul that has been damaged by what the Bible calls the corruption of this world. So guess what God did? What God did was he quickened your human spirit by an intrusion by the Holy Spirit and it's called being born again. All things pass away and all things become new. So what God did was he gave you a new spirit. Follow me here because this is where the teaching comes. He gave you a new spirit. He did not give you a new soul. Let me be technically correct. On the day you got saved, your spirit. 
more around talking about Jesus has saved my soul. Well, it's not quite, that's not quite it. Jesus, on the moment you were converted, saved your spirit by imparting to you a new nature. Your soul is being saved. Your spirit was immediately saved. What God did when Mary, the mother of Jesus, got pregnant, it's because the Holy Spirit penetrated her egg. When the Holy Spirit penetrated her egg, you had the most unique individual in the history of mankind. Because you got an egg, a human being, you got the Holy Spirit, a divine being, and the divine being penetrates the egg, creating life. So you got a unique life. You got a person being born who is both God and man. You got a baby that's got to suck and get milk who made the mother that's producing the milk. Because you've got God infiltrating man. You got a man who gets thirsty, but a God who can walk on water. You've got a man who can get hungry, but a God who can turn fish into Moby Dick sandwiches and feed 5,000. You've got the unique person because you've had the penetration in the egg of the divine nature. You say, well, that was good for Jesus. No, it's also good for you. Because what God did was he penetrated the human spirit with the divine spirit so that now integrated into your humanity is the DNA of deity. The DNA of deity has now been penetrated into you and you have God living in you. Now, I know that poses a question. If I have that much of God living in me, why can't I locate him? Why can't I find him? Why, why am I so, why am I always a victim? Why is there no victory? Why is all I'm living in defeat? Why can I make life work? Why, if I got what you told me, is in me, why is it not working? Very simple. First Peter chapter 1, I just want to read verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Here it is, here it is. You have been born again with an imperishable, here it is, seed. When God's spirit entered your spirit, you got a new nature, but in seed form. In other words, it wasn't fully grown. It was in seed form. And the only way you come to discover a brand new life that has been conceived is when there is development. If the seed doesn't develop, it's not because it's not alive. It's because it's not growing any. So the reason we're not experiencing more of the DNA of God is we're satisfied to remain in seed form. So here's the way it's supposed to work. Your spirit is supposed to grow in your soul so that your spirit now dictates to your soul. Your soul being corrected by the spirit that's now growing inside of it is going to give new information to your body. So your body begins to do different because your soul is functioning different. But the soul is only functioning different because the spirit has taken it over. But if the spirit is still being remaining in seed form, the soul doesn't ever change. So the body doesn't function differently. So if you want to function differently in the body, it's because it's got to be 
a change in the soul, but there's only a change in the soul when there is development in the spirit. So that's why you can spend all kind of money and all kind of time trying to come up with a better soul, and the best you can come up with is soul management. And that's what a lot of people are spending time and money on, managing their souls better. You can do that. You can go to a therapist and an analyst, and you can go to talk to your friends, and they can help you manage your soul better. God is not interested in soul management. He's interested in soul transformation. He wants to change your soul, but that comes through expansion of the spirit. Are you with me? It's expansion of the spirit. God's not trying to manage you like that. He's trying to change you. He's trying to change me. Planted in the ground, corn, and you come up with a stalk with all these ears on it. How did Lucy have ten ears of corn on a stalk? Could you open that thing up and see them ears? No. But when planted in the right soil, what you have, well, here's what you have in the seed. He calls it the seed. You have all your potential. All your potential is in the seed. The seed of your spirit. What do you think your potential is? What do you think my potential is? Now we may not be living up to that potential, but it's not because it's not there. It's in the seed. But the seed has to develop. And he says, when it develops, you escape the corruption. You escape the corruption. The DNA of God overrides the deterioration and entropy of the world because you have in you, on you. The divine blueprint. So that narrates the next question, doesn't it? Okay, how do I get this seed cooking? How do I get this seed working? Cause, cause I'm tired. I've been saved 10 years and 20 years and and my baby ain't growing. How do I get this seed working so that the new nature begins to dominate? Watch this now. For this very reason also, apply all diligence. Alright? Diligence means zeal. In other words, what Peter is getting ready to tell you, take seriously. Apply all diligence. Don't take what he's getting ready to tell you casually. Don't think that this is some minor thing. All diligence, this is deadly serious. If you want the divine nature to express itself in your soul, then take this down seriously, he says. With all diligence. In your faith, that is, with your salvation, he says you have a common faith, you're already saved, because he's talking to born-again believers. In your faith, here it is, supply. Let me stop at the word supply. He's going to list seven things. Seven is the number of completeness in the Bible. He's going to give you seven things that will grow your seed. Seven things that will grow your seed. And this is what you must supply. You say, but wait a minute. You told me I already have everything. You do. But now you're telling me I must supply something. The seed has the whole stalk of corn and its possibilities in it. But if you 
supply the soil, then the seed has no place to express its potential. The supply he's talking about is not adding on to what God has done. The supply he's talking about is creating an environment so that all that he's done can flourish. Okay. You go to the grocery store. You get a can of orange juice concentrate. You get a can of apple juice concentrate. In that can is a pitcher full of juice. But it's concentrate. It's been collapsed and concentrated. But its design is to serve your whole pitcher. So what they tell you is to add water. the goal of glorifying God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So you must now live with the consciousness of glorifying God, which now adds virtue to your salvation. You must ask, how will this make God look? How will this expand how God is viewed? How will this make God look bigger and better? How will this put God on advertisement? How will 
so that you keep getting the knowledge so that you keep expanding the virtue piggybacking on your faith so you may need accountability to stay on task he goes on and add to your self control he says perseverance that means in everyday language hang in there don't quit don't throw in the towel and perseverance is almost always related in the bible to trials when the bible talks about perseverance most of the time you're going through a rough time he says i know it's hard i know it's hot i know it's heavy but if you're putting these other things in place that preceded this i want you to add you're putting in self control i want you to add hanging in there why here's a little secret the worst things get the closer you are that's my that's my little secret the reason he doesn't want you to throw in the towel yet is cuz the worse things get the closer you are to whatever god is planning to do the worse things get the reason he says don't throw in the towel
because the closer you are, he says, persevere, and to your perseverance, add godliness, because the temptation when you're persevering is to quit and say, I don't want the God thing anymore, to bail out on God, hang on to living for God, even though you don't see anything happening, Okay, watch this now, watch this. He comes to the next one. Brotherly kindness. The Greek word there is Philadelphia. Brotherly kindness. Here's a, here, here's a secret. I know it's rough because these believers were going through trials. I know it's tough. But you want the seed to grow. Here it is. Find a brother or sister who's going through something similar to you and minister to them. Brotherly kindness meant to selflessly reach out to another member of the family of God and pour into them. I know what you're saying. I need somebody to pour into me. I know what you're saying. But you know, remember Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Pour it out to a brother or sister. If you need healing to whatever degree you can, minister to somebody else who needs healing. If you're battling depression, as tough as it may be and as best as you can, minister to somebody else who's depressed. If you're going through marital struggles, and I know it's tough, minister to somebody else who has marital struggles. Whatever you are needing, give. Brotherly kindness. Kindness to another member of the family of God. I know it doesn't make sense because you have a need, but what's going to happen is your seed going to start shaking. Because God is seeing you be like him. And he getting excited in there. So now I got feet showing up and hands showing up. And now I got eyes and now I can read the gender. Because God's, God's nature is being shaken within you. Then he says on top of that, the last one, add to that love. Add to that love. Well, wait a minute. Didn't I just show love with a did brotherly kindness? Mm -mm. Brotherly kindness is to a brother. That's to a brother or sister. That's to another Christian. That's to somebody who's on your side, on your team. That's somebody you don't mind talking to, dealing with. Because they're a brother or a sister, and they're going through what you're going through. So, so you can relate. This is somebody you can relate to. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When he talked about love, he's talking about folk you aren't particular about. Folk you would naturally gravitate to. Folk you may go in the other direction from. This has to do with ministering to the irregular people in your life. Let's talk about ministering to somebody who you I don't know that I want to talk to her. I don't like her. God demonstrated his love in that while we were sinners against him, Christ died. He's saying go there because now the seed is going crazy in you. Now you acting like why Jesus came and died. You acting just like the sacrifice on the cross, and God is going crazy inside of you. Now we got hair growing out the head, and, and we got eyebrows coming in, and, and we, we got all kind of stuff happening because God's nature is being reflected in your seed, in your spirit. What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? I'm almost out of time. What's gonna happen? He says, This is gonna happen, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are, here it is, growth, increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful, here it is, in the true epigenosis, in the true knowledge, the authentic knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says you're going to become fruity. 
tofu. They're still Christians, but nothing is coming out of their lives that God can use. Why would God bless somebody that's unfruitful? Fruit has three things going for it. One, fruit is always visible. You've never seen invisible fruit. Fruit's always visible. You can see it. Secondly, fruit always bears the character of the tree of which it is a part. Apple trees don't produce oranges because that's not the character of the tree. It reflects the character of the tree as a part. Thirdly, fruit is always for the benefit of somebody else. Any fruit eating itself is rotten. When you see fruit eating itself, that's rotten fruit. Because fruit exists for somebody else to bite it. When you see this seed shaking and God moving in you and you see this, you discovering all this stuff because your spirit is taking over your soul, you're going to discover something. You're going to discover that it's now visible. Like a pregnant woman, you can only hide that stuff for so long. It's going to become visible that something is going on inside of you. Not only will you become visible, you will reflect the character of the tree of which you are a part. You're going to look more and more like Jesus. What happens if you don't do this addition? You just say, I'm saved, as I'm enough. Verse 9, in closing. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and myopic. That's a Greek word from where we get our English word myopic, short, nearsighted. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Wow. Wow. He says, if you don't add these qualities, you think in short term. You think in short term. Any mother who's only thinking about nine months is thinking short term. You gotta be thinking 18 years. You can't be thinking nine months. If you're thinking nine months, you're blind. Nine months is just to get it out of there. Nine months, nine months, nine months is your introduction. That's what nine months is. Nine months is beginning the process. That's short term to think nine months. That's 18 years. You gotta plan on it. He says, for those who lack these qualities, you're not thinking, you don't have the big picture. You're just living day by day. You're missing the big picture. The person who says, I only want to go through the ninth grade, and that's it. That's it. I think I'm good at ninth. They think in short term. That may be good now that you're in the fifth grade, but when you're out there trying to get a job, that's a whole different story. That's a whole different story. He says, no, think of the bigger picture. Both of time and eternity, you will become fruitful. Life will become meaningful. He says, and the root problem in closing, here he says the root problem is, the person who won't develop these qualities on the spiritual growth level has forgotten his purification from his former sins. You forgot Calvary. You forgot the cross. And whenever we forget the cross, we're in trouble. I'm in trouble, you're in trouble. When you forget the cross, when that just becomes something that happened 2,000 years ago, he says you're in trouble because now you won't see the need. My granddaughter, Karis. I'm going to pick on it because this is a prime opportunity to make a point publicly, but to illustrate this point. She's just been accepted at Baylor University. So that's great. There's a problem. The problem is Baylor University costs $35,000 a year. $38,000 a year. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. Private school, 
foundationally Christian, great education, but in case you didn't hear me, $38,000 a year. That's a lot of money. That's a whole lot of money. Now, I don't know where she thinks she's going to get $38,000 a year. But it costs $38,000. I got to keep saying it because it's just $38,000 a year. That's a high price. That's over $100,000 for a college education. So if God in his supernatural power, seriously, if God in his supernatural power provides my granddaughter with $38,000 a year, over $100,000 for a college education, I nor her parents want to hear anything about you not going to class. I don't want to hear about you not doing your homework. I don't want to hear about you out partying all night so you ain't feel like getting up. I don't want to hear about all that because the price is too high. When you think about $38,000 a year, I don't want to hear you made a D when you had the ability to make an A because it costs too much at $38,000 a year. But if she forgets the high price that has to be paid for her to have a college education, then she going to party, then she's not going to be responsible, then she going to hang out with the wrong people because she forgot that she didn't pay the tab. Somebody else picked up the tab and the tab was $38,000 a year. So you better be serious about a college education if somebody picks up the tab at $38,000 a year. 2,000 years ago, Jesus picked up the tab. He paid it in full. He doesn't want you to forget the price he paid at Calvary for our sins and become slowful in adding what he's provided for our new nature because the price was too high that he paid for you to forget the expensive cost of the payment for our sins.